electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be able to make friends. I'm just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Tech was back today, just like the old days. These things were rallying like it's 2020, which is how you end up with a session where the Dow dips 113 points. The S&P ticks down 0.08%, but the Nasdaq jumps 0.63%. At one point, it was much higher before everything folded at the end of the session. Suddenly, the whole group felt so tempting, didn't it? Oh, there's just one problem with tech, the fundamentals. You see, they're much worse than Wall Street seems to believe. A key reason why the huge gains didn't last and shouldn't be expected to. See, today we got a clear counter-trend rally in the morning, albeit one that fizzled late in the day based on a cessation of tech selling by big institutions and last Friday's weaker-than-expected wage inflation number, which suggests the Fed might not have to tighten as aggressively as we thought. This kind of rally, it's seductive. It looks like the real thing. It lasts a little longer than you might expect because there's nothing in the way. Earnings season kicks off this week, but we don't hear from any tech companies. Not for a week or two do you really get that. But you see, the move... The move, is, as we saw at the beginning of the day, the move was wrong. It was wrong. What are people doing? They're selling health care. They're selling the oils, the industrials, the aerospace, all the groups that are cheap versus their long-term prospects. And they were clobbered. And by the end of the day, I think many of them actually represented some great opportunities. Meanwhile, the tech companies with stocks that roared earlier today, well, when they report, it's most likely that they will tell analysts that their forecasts are too high. Yes, number cuts when they report. So let's do this. Because it was such a complicated day, let's break down the, the, uh, the whole session so you really understand, okay? Because today's tech-led rally may have been tradable, but it wasn't something that we find is much more important on mad money. It wasn't investable. 
See, at the end of the day, we want to be investors. It's a better strategy over the long haul, especially because you can't really be a good trader unless you're doing it as a full-time job. But you can absolutely be a good part-time investor, and that's who we're trying to teach here. What do I mean when I say the tech rally is not investable? Look, this move started on Friday after we got a set of cooler than expected economic numbers. Wage inflation, factory orders, and the service sector were all softer than we thought. In response, bond yields tumbled. And when that happens, the whole stock market tends to roar. Until Friday, many stocks have been headed lower, and the worst performers were indeed tech, led by Fang. Yes, those multi billion dollar mega tech companies and also the engine, the enterprise software companies. So you could say that those were certainly due for rebounds simply because they'd already been hit so hard. That's why tech seems to snap back the hardest every time we see soft economic data. And that leads us to believe that the Fed will be willing to stop bringing us the pain, even as nobody at the Fed saying that. Now, look, I don't blame anyone for trying to trade these moves. It's what we used to do back in my old hedge fund, but I was doing it full time. If strong economic data means more Fed action and more tech selling, like in November of, uh, of 2021, then naturally weak data is a green light to buy tech, and at least short. But again, you can't game this kind of thing unless you're running money as a full-time job. And even then, it's mighty hard. For everyone else, we buy stocks because we're betting on the underlying companies. We want to own the companies that are doing better than Wall Street expects and avoid the ones that are doing worse. These short-term sector rotations like we saw today, they're irrelevant because they can't last. Think renters, not owners. The fundamentals, now they last. So let's take a look at the action in two key groups so you understand what's really going on here. Uh, there's tech, which soared today, and healthcare, which got no love whatsoever. Holy cow. Many of the big hedge funds are catal- what's known as catalyst driven. We heard lots of good things about healthcare ahead of this big JP Morgan healthcare conference that started this week in San Francisco. We even had Lisa Gill, JP Morgan's top analyst at the conference, on the show last week. She gave us some great insight about what to look for. All the best stories, well, let's just say they were bid up in advance. So today, the conference started and it turned into a sell the news catalyst situation. There wasn't enough new money coming into the market to say something like J&J. Yes, Johnson Johnson, fantastic long term story that got clobbered when its CEO predicted aggressive numbers. They were greeted with skepticism by many. It turned into a rout where almost everything healthcare got crushed. Hmm. I like that. I like it if I went on those stocks. At the same time, the tech stocks kept the rally going as the big sellers finally seemed to take a break, perhaps because they were actually buyers coming into the market for once. I don't know. That tech rally began uh, ran out of steam when a couple of Fed officials reiterated that they've got no plans to take their feet off the brakes. Still, this one was seductive. That's the word I keep coming back to. Seductive enough to pull people in, even if it might turn out to be extremely short-lived. You might have been pulled in. You might have found it seductive. So how can tech rally like this, even though we all know the fundamentals are awful? Well, because it's very easy for stocks to come untethered from their underlying business in the short term if the companies are getting serious about the bottom line because it changes their complexion. So I want you to take a look at, uh, let's talk about Kramer Fave, long-term Kramer Fave, Salesforce. It's up nearly 5% today. Last week, these guys announced they're going to lay off 10% of the workforce. Then on Friday, we learned that 10% may not be enough. Salesforce has made a series of very expensive acquisitions, notably Tableau and Slack. The integration hasn't been as rigorous as it could have been, but Salesforce is still one of the best-run cloud software players. So if they need to let go more than 10% of their employees to get things really going and humming, well, then you have to think to yourself, what does that mean for the rest of the industry? Tech's had so many good years that these companies have almost no spending discipline, meaning that there's still a lot of fat for them to cut. 
as the economy cools off. Wall Street loves these layoffs right now. And if Salesforce can do this, then maybe Microsoft or Alphabet or Amazon can. I know Amazon's already said they're going to let go 18,000 people, but that's nowhere near what they need to do. Alphabet and Microsoft may actually need to make cuts if the economies around the world don't improve. And it looks like they aren't. Now, you see, from the market's perspective, it's good that these companies are starting to get religion on cost cuts. Long term, though, obviously, it's not good that tech's struggling. And the whole industry desperately needs to fire tons of people. We want strong revenue growth, not weaker revenue growth and cost cutting. But these days with tech, I guess we'll take either. Now, there are other signs that things are less than swell in the markets, too. Lululemon, a fantastic growth company, announced a shade down for earnings, just a teeny-weeny, and its stock got crushed, down $30 or almost 10%. On Friday afternoon, Macy said it had a less-than-ideal holiday season. And I see it other than discounters. You won't believe uh, there won't be a lot of money to be made in the retail stocks. So what happened? Macy's stock dropped $1.70 or 7.6%. What makes this more difficult is that we don't have new money coming into the market. In fact, we have the opposite. People are continuing to pull out the money in droves. Yeah, they want to be in CDs. They want to be in very, very nice, high-yielding treasuries. So if hedge funds want to buy tech, they need to sell something else to fund those purchases. And today, they sold healthcare and retail. These short-term rallies are all about They're all based on ephemeral themes, not how the underlying companies are actually doing. So they have rarely been able to have staying power. For the Chapel Trust, we used today's rally to do the opposite. We made tech sales because business is deteriorating. And the Fed's not coming to the rescue anytime soon for the tech stocks. At the end of the day, I expect most tech companies to miss the estimates. And that almost always leads to lower stock prices. It isn't easy to be disciplined. It isn't easy to ignore stocks that rally 10, 11, 12 points, as many stocks were doing earlier this morning and suck people in. Seductive. If you bought that, you were betting that there's another 10 or 11 or 12 points down in your future. Well, uh uh-uh, you ended up losing money today if you did that. But the bottom line, just remember, if you were buying tech here off some weaker macroeconomic numbers, you're not investing. You're simply gambling. And if you're going to gamble, you know what? You might as well go blackjack. Yeah, go play blackjack at the casino. The odds are better. Tony in Pennsylvania. Tony. Hey, Jim. This is a healthy new year to you, Big Jim. Oh, thank you, Tony. Thank you. How you doing, buddy? You hanging in there? I'm doing. I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm hanging in like everybody else. What's happening? My stock is Shake Shack, Jim. Long term hold, or should I shake it out of my portfolio? What do you think, Jim? I think that one of the things that we have to do at times is say, do we like the product? And is the balance sheet okay? And can they do well? And this is one of those situations where the company's not making as much money. I think it can make more money, but the product is good. We all like the product. I think it's a hold. I don't think it's a buy. And I think it's hold. And thank you, Tony, for those fine comments. Let's go to Trey in Texas, please. Trey. Jim, everyone's looking for the next Fang stock except me. I'm personally okay. looking for the next Chipotle, and Jim, I think I found it in Sweet Green. What do you say? No, uh, you know, look. First of all, I think you're absolutely right to go looking for Subway from Fang, but I have a problem with Sweet Green. They they really surprised us to the downside. I was a little let down by them. I did not think they did that good a job. I can't necessarily tell you to go buy Chipotle, but I think Chipotle is the better buy. Let's go to Matthew in Georgia. Matthew. Hi, hi, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well, Matthew. How about you? Very good, very good. The uh, question I had for today, what I wanted to ask you was, I have Home Depot stock, 
for the last over 20 years. I used to work for them, but uh, yeah, it was a long time ago. So I have about 200 shares, and I'm trying to figure out if I should diversify. I had more than that, but I had sold some off. But, uh, uh, I'll tell you, Matthew, you were in good hands with Home Depot. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that this I'm trying to teach people something. In 2023, I'm really trying to emphasize this. I don't know how this quarter is with Home Depot. I know it's a great franchise we like to shop at with good balance sheet and excellent management. And that says to me, own Home Depot, not for the quarter, but for the duration. Right now, look, I know it isn't easy to be disciplined. I'm trying to teach it. But please remember, if you're buying tech here off some weaker macroeconomic numbers, you're not investing. You're most likely gambling. On Mad Money Tonight, ConAgra shot the lights out last week when reported earnings. So can the strength of the packaged food sector continue into 2023? I'm asking the CEO. Then what should you do if you miss the five best trading days of the year? I'm going to give you my advice. And it's been almost one year since the Constellation Exelon breakup. I've got Exelon's brand new CEO to find out how the company is working to transition to a cleaner future. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. In a deteriorating economy, you want to circle the wagons around recession proof groups like the packaged food stocks, especially the ones with great numbers. 
Last Thursday, we got a blowout quarter from ConAgra Brands, the parent of Bird's Eye, Marie Callender's, Healthy Choice, Slim Jim's, Orville Redenbacher's, Hebrew National, and many, many, many others. These guys delivered a big top and bottom line beat with organic growth of 8.6%. When Wall Street was only looking for 6.3%, even better, management gave you tremendous guidance, which is why the stock could rally a combined 6% on Thursday and Friday. Isn't that what we're looking for? That's a very good numbers. But when you look under the hood, a lot of that came from better pricing, which was strong enough to offset volumes, which were down 8.4%. Now, is that sustainable in this increasingly tough environment? I think if the brands are strong enough, the answer is yes. So let's check in with Sean Conley. He's the president CEO of ConAgra Brands to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Conley, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Love the new set. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, we're trying to make the most of it. Now, Sean, you've always said that, that in your pantry, you'll find ConAgra things. Now, I think a lot of us, particularly since we spent a lot of time at home, we have almost everything that you sell. And it's not just that. It's in the freezer. So why don't you tell us what is doing really well? Because the numbers were extraordinary. Well, a lot of people don't realize ConAgra's been through a massive transformation in the last eight years. And today, about two-thirds, a little bit more of our sales are anchored in two key strategic domains, frozen and snacks. Frozen's where we started when we began this transformation, innovating the entire space. And wow, is it working. Consumers are buying frozen food. It's convenient. We've completely changed the quality of the food and the packaging. And then when the pandemic hit and more people are working from home, there's structural reasons now to eat more breakfast and lunch at home. So that's been a home run for us, along with our snacks business. But but in Frozen, we sell it all. We sell you know, vegetable-based foods like bird's eye. We've got plant-based meat alternatives like Gardein. And then we've got classic favorites like Marie Callender. So we've got pretty much something for everybody in that Frozen set. Now, you've also uh, had some issues until this quarter, I think, with supply chain, where people were saying, well, look, they can't get it all together. How did this all come together this quarter? Supply chain, sales, everything yeah. worked. Well, this is an inflation super cycle. And what I've been saying is, Good consumer packaged goods companies can navigate these inflation super cycles if you've got three things in place. Great brands, great processes, and great people. And we've got all three. But it's a process. It's not going to fix itself overnight. You get hit with higher costs. You announce your pricing. You wait about 90 days till that pricing goes in effect. While that happens, you've got some margin compression. But once you get on the other side of that 90 days, you start to see margin recovery. And that's exactly what's happening for us. And the good news is throughout all of that, Demand for our products has been resilient and our sales are strong. Well, then that is a combination for sustainability. I shouldn't think that this is it and then after that it's going to go down. All the things are in place. Absolutely. There's no question that innovation is the backbone to everything that we're doing successfully in the marketplace. About six years ago, we completely changed our innovation capabilities. We do it all in-house. I think it's best in class. And it spans our total portfolio from frozen to snacks to staples. And the proof is in the pudding. It's working in the marketplace. Throughout COVID, we had among the highest sales in all of the food space. And we've held on to a lot of that demand, even as COVID has, start, has subsided and the inflation cycle hit. And that's a testament to the innovation quality that we've introduced to the marketplace. So when I saw you last, you were saying, look, you don't understand the younger person's just thirst for uh, for frozen foods and and also on a pricing basis they're still they're just as good quality but they are less expensive well that's true and i heard you talk about trading down last week and there there has been a trade down right. within food but the big trade down is trading spending your food dollars away from home 
to spending your food dollars for stuff you eat at home. Why? Because it's a lot more affordable. So our products are more expensive today than they were two years ago because of the incessant inflation. But on a relative value basis, they are still an extraordinary value particularly versus the away-from-home alternatives. Right. People aren't going to make those choices while they're trying to make their household budget work. All right, so when I look at my popcorn in my, in my pantry, we have a bunch of different brands, but they're all yours. Yep. So why have as many brands? We have about a billion-dollar popcorn platform at retail. It's Angie's Boom Chicka Pop, if you like a sweeter popcorn, kettle corn. Right. We've got Act Two, which is more of savory popcorn. And then, of course, one of the founders of Great Popcorn, Orville Redenbacher, is one of our leading brands. And, and I would recommend you buy the kernels there and pop your own because it'll be got that too. second enough. I wouldn't worry about it. We got the Swiss Miss, we got the Vlasic, and we got the Duncan Hines, just like where my mom grew up. And, you know, when you grow up and they, she grows it, she uses it, and then you use it. I mean, you've got brands that are popular that you're, to some degree, though, you keep reinventing. It's not yeah. like it's the same old, same old. Yeah, well, look at Duncan Hines. You've got a, a jar here of our partnership with Dolly Parton. I mean, what greater American icon is there than Dolly Parton? And now Dolly and baking have come together. Baking is one of Dolly's favorite pastimes. So we thought it'd be a great partnership, and it's been a home run for the category and our brand. Now, bird's eye. It turns yeah. out, I mean, when I'm at home, I got a microwave. Boom. I put a steak on the grill. I have to admit, I always had the bird's eye. I mean, that is kind of the American way, isn't it? Yeah, a- absolutely. And, and the, the key for us strategically on Birdseye has been to continue to premiumize and innovate this. So last year, our big launch was buffalo cauliflower wings. So it's kind of like a chicken wing, but it's buffalo cauliflower. And that idea came actually out of sports pubs. So when we look for ideas, we, we scour the earth for we don't have to invent it ourselves. We can find it at, elsewhere and right. fast adapt it into our brands. It's almost as if I mean, between binge TV and work at home, it was almost a period designed for ConAgra. You think it can continue? You know, the old saying, don't waste a good crisis. And, and we would not have been able to take advantage of the crisis in terms of introducing consumers to our products and getting the response we got had the products not been developed in advance. And we spent three years in advance of the pandemic completely changing this portfolio to be built for the modern age. And then we introduced it for the first time to a lot of households who've never seen these products before, young consumers in particular, during the pandemic. And guess what? They're coming back again and again, and that bodes well for the future. Well, I got to tell you, the Conagra way is really working, and you have really delivered. Congratulations. I'll tell you, the best of the food stocks. I mean, just a remarkable period. But I will say, true to your word, every bit that happened you said on our show would occur. So congratulations to you. Ed Mice back after the break. Coming up, sometimes FOMO is justified. Find out what happens if you miss the five best trading days of the year. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. 
Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. For the better part of the last year, I've constantly been asked the same question. Why even bother with this heinous stock market? Why own anything when the general trend is downward? Doesn't it make more sense to swap sell, out sell, sell. And the whole asset class and maybe swap back in at a lower level? Buy, buy, buy! Sure, that sounds great in theory, right? But in practice, it's almost impossible to swap out and then swap back in because your timing will almost always be off. Nobody's that good. Unless you're running money professionally and you have a talent for trading, not investing, but short-term trading, you're simply not going to be nimble enough to make it happen, and very few have that talent. Why? It all comes down to days like Friday. Yeah, Friday, where the Dow surged 700 points out of nowhere. The S&P soared 2.28%. Almost nobody saw this one coming. Now, going into Friday, Wall Street was feeling real downbeat about the future. People felt the economy was too strong, so the Fed would have to keep bringing the pain with more aggressive rate hikes. The house of pain. Which would ultimately translate into more losses for the market. But then we got some very surprising numbers. While the headlines from the Labor Department's non-farm payrolls report made it sound like we've still got an overheated job market, wage inflation came in weaker than expected. And that's what the Fed really cares about. A little later, we got worse than expected factory orders, and then a much worse than expected ISM services PMI readout. Next thing you know... Well, we're off to the races. The house of pain. I certainly didn't see it coming, although I got a lot of flack for telling you that it's not the end of the world just the night before. Now, I wish I could come to you right now and say, hey, wait a second. You know what? Tomorrow morning, the clouds will part and the sun will shine. I didn't. I just said that it's darkest before the dawn. So I can't claim any sort of victory. It would have been sweet, but I can't. The point is, just when everybody had lost hope, we got some major data points showing the Fed's making real progress in its war against inflation, and therefore the market roared. Unpredictable. These incredible moves tend to happen when you least expect them, which is exactly why I'm so hesitant to give up on stocks entirely. You need to keep some positions on and use weakness to buy more, as we had in a lot of the soft goods plays today. Because when the turn comes, oh, does it come fast. If you try to swap out, then swap back in later, there's a very big chance that you'll miss the fabulous updates that come out of left field. And you can't afford to miss them, particularly, by the way, in the good years when a lot of the gains occur in a very short period of time. And that's why tonight I'll give you a little case study showing what would happen if you miss the best five trading days of the year. And we're going to use last year's data, even though last year was a bad year. Obviously, you, it, these five days didn't help you to the point where you could make money. Dow sunk 8.8%. SB lost 19.4%. NASDAQ plummeted 33.1%. But it would have, made, would have been so much worse if you tried to trade too, too aggressively and missed the best days of the year. In short, while the S&P was down 19%, 
you would have been off 32% if you missed the best five days of the year. And that is a huge disparity. So let's face it. It does matter. And we got to stay focused on this. Why? Because imagine in a great year, almost all the performance is going to come from just a few good days. That's how it works. Look, these five best days were very missable. Let me take you through them one by one because they all illustrate an important point. The fifth best day for the market in 2022 was May 4th when the S&P jumped 2.99%. This was a dark time. The S&P was already down more than 12% for the year going into the session. Russia had invaded Ukraine, and the Fed hit us with a 50 basis point double rate hike with the promise of more tightening to come. But Powell, Fed Chief Powell, he also made some encouraging comments about the fight against inflation, and that was enough to send the market soaring. Of course, the turnaround turned to be premature and uh, ended up needing to hit us with a four consecutive 75 basis point rate hikes before going back to that 50 basis point level again in December. But it seemed good at the time. Now, you can argue it wasn't worth getting this rally, but if you got out after the rally on May 4th, then you did much better than if you got out on May 3rd, then never got back in again. Although, again, I'd say that's a mighty tough move to make, kind of like selling at 10.30 a.m. today when things look perfect. Next up, we got a mammoth 3.06% rally on June 24th, which was at the time the biggest gain in two years for the S&P. At this point, the bad news is good news dynamic had taken hold. We were desperate for bad economic data that would show the Fed could be less aggressive. And on that midsummer Friday, the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index, well, you can go pretty far to find things that hurt or help, hit a record low reading of 50 for June. This late June rally ended up being the cherry on top of an excellent week for the averages. Plus, if you got out on June 23rd and never got back in, you're down nearly 100 points from where the S&P 500 closed today. Now, the three best days of the year came in October and November. On October 4th, the S&P jumped 3.06%. This was after a horrific period where we realized inflation was here to stay and the Fed might have to go scorch earth on the whole economy. The averages had been, plum- had been plummeting for uh, a month, a month and a half at this point. And I think Wall Street just got too negative, as I think happened late last week. Plus, on October 4th, we got some job opening and labor uh, turnover data that showed a massive decline in job openings. Clear evidence that the Fed was making progress in the fight against inflation. And this came on top of another huge rally the day before, after we got some soft ISM manufacturing data. The averages didn't actually bottom until two weeks later. But you would have been kicking yourself if you missed that move. All right, let's go out of order for a second, uh, because the best day of the year came on November 10th. At this point, we've already made quite a comeback from the lows, but November 10th was explosive. The S&P surged 5.5% that day. This was when we finally got a cooler-than-expected consumer price index reading, and everyone realized that inflation might actually have peaked. In response, Treasury yields plummeted and the market roared. Finally, we got the second best day of the year. That's November 30th. This 3.1% run came after a three-day losing streak for the S&P 500. What happened? Fed Chief Jay Powell talked about moderating the pace of future rate hikes, giving the whole market a shot in the arm. Of course, last year is far from the best example. It was an awful year. Nobody would mind missing the entire thing. And, And I understand that. And I know that in some ways that proves that maybe my five dates here don't matter that much. But if you look at 2021, when the S&P 500 surged only 27 percent, you would have only gained 15 percent if you missed the five best days of the year. That's even more dispositive. In other words, a huge percentage of your annual gains come from a handful of days in any given year. And that's why it's so dangerous to try to flit in and flit out of the whole market, especially because those days often come after periods of maximum pain 
where you're most likely to give up on the whole asset class. So how about last Friday? We sure didn't hear a lot of the bulls coming into that magnificent move. And frankly, we've been using this strength to lighten up for the Chapel Trust. If you really feel bearish, well, you got my blessing to boost your cash position. But the bottom line, don't give up on the market entirely. You have to stay the course with stocks because when the market snaps back, it snaps that fast. And it's a tragedy to miss out on the few unpredictable days where stocks really roar. Let's go to Joe in New York. Joe. Joe from Long Island. How you doing, Jimmy? Yeah. Happy New Year. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Listen, happy New Year to you, Joe. What's shaking? I'm sure, I'm sure you're happy about your uh, team over from Philly, and I'm happy about They're good. Football. They're good guys. I like that. Okay. The, the stock which I've had, you know, reasonably decent success with, I want to get some feedback. It's uh, General Mills. I, I found it to be a stock which is almost like a contrarian stock where – it, when the stock market's down, General Mills is just plugging away. And I just want to get some sort of feedback. Joe, you got it dead right. That is precisely what's happening. And by the way, you know, when they bought that hip food company, that blue buff, that was brilliant. They then managed to be able to do uh, – they just kind of extended it all the way. And I've got to give it you – know, uh, Jeff uh, Harmoning is so good at his job. And he has really turned that company. People didn't like that blue buff when he first did that acquisition. But he made it special, and it's a terrific, terrific stock to be in. Okay, well, you have to stay the course with stocks because when the market snaps back, it snaps back fast, and you don't want to miss out. Much more man money ahead, including my exclusive with the CEO of energy giant Exelon. Should you be circling the wagons of this 3.1% dividend yield, or sometimes that's not such a bad thing? Then this market is giving you a chance to sell what you shouldn't be owning in the first place. And I'll explain. And you're not going to like it, some of you. I don't care. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's decision of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. a lot of time talking about Constellation Energy. That's the nuclear-focused utility. It's been a big winner in a very nuclear-friendly environment. We haven't devoted nearly enough time to the company that spun off Constellation early last year, Exelon. This is a utility powerhouse in the Mid-Atlantic and Midwest. Last year, Exelon completed its breakup, unloading its power generation business as Constellation Energy. It wanted to become a pure play on transmission and distribution. This is exactly the kind of stock we normally want to circle the wagons around in a slowing economy. 3.1% dividend yield doesn't help. It doesn't hurt at all. I got to tell you, this is one of my first stocks I've ever bought. So let's take a closer look with new president and CEO Calvin Butler to learn more. Mr. Butler, welcome to Man Money. Hey, man, thank you for having me. It's good to be with you, Jim. Oh, thank you. So, Calvin, so um, I'm from Philadelphia, which is Pico. And if you're from Chicago, That's you me. probably know this Commonwealth that you are maybe, uh, well, I guess with the largest per, uh, number of people of any company in the country. Yeah, we have the privilege of serving over 10 million customers, as you said, across the Atlantic, mid-Atlantic, from Jersey down to the eastern shore of Maryland to Washington, D.C., and then, of course, our largest utility, ComEd, right here in northern Illinois, based in Chicago. Now, you have a 6 to 8% annual growth rate. How is that possible? Well, it's possible because we are committed to investing over the next four years $29 billion in our capital investments. And what's exciting about that $29 billion, it's done in partnership with our regulators and our legislators. And when you think about that $29 billion, Jim, not one project is over 1% of that capital investment. 
So it's relatively risk-free. And it's going to the things that matter most to our jurisdictions around reliability, resiliency, energy efficiency efforts, decarbonization. And that $29 billion translates into a rate-based growth of about $17 billion, which is the almost the equivalent of the size of ComEd. And that's how it's possible. Oh, that's fabulous. Now, Kevin, one of the things I really like is that when you read through all your different uh, earnings reports and also your deck, you make it very clear you're about reliable but also affordable power. Most of the CEOs who are in your position have spent more time. They talk a lot about the dividend, which is great. I'm interested in hearing about how people can afford power. Yeah, affordability is key for us. When you talk about, you and I were just having the conversation about the cities that we serve. Our cities are major urban markets, but also we serve rural America. We serve coastal America. And affordability is a key piece because we have neighborhoods that are significantly under-resourced. And we recognize that a dollar increase in their bill is a significant increase. So we lead with affordability. We, that's how we have those conversations with our regulators. And having said that, we're driving it by our energy efficiency programs, which are world-class. We're driving it by connecting our customers with assistance. Give you an example. Last year alone, we connected our customers across our six utilities to over $450 million in aid to help them pay their bills because we know times are tough, but that is why we lead with affordability because our regulators are also asking us to do more because they need that system to be reliable and clean. And we're investing, but we have to connect the dots for them. And last year, under uh, you, the reliability was the best ever for your company. It, it was. Thank you. And ComEd was ranked the number one utility in the country in terms of reliability. And that says a lot. When they're serving northern Illinois, based in Chicago, that means a lot to our customers. And I give a lot of credit to that leadership team. But across the board. Our operations is in the top quartile of all utilities. So reliability is the driver. No one cares about all the innovative things you do. Is it, And when they go to flip that switch or turn on that stove, they don't have reliable power. And we know what starts it, and we start there each and every day. Now, because you're in everybody's home, I have to hope that the Inflation Reduction Act, which has some climate control issues uh, that are addressed, that somehow that's going to help Exelon. Is Washington benefited? Give you any help at all? It has. I would say the Inflation Reduction Act, as well as the IIJA, are both significant pieces of legislation. And why I say it's so important, Jim, is that it allows us in a deeper way to partner with our jurisdictions, the communities that we serve. We are partnering with them in grant writing to encourage and expedite their transition to clean air, to their transition to transportation electrification, to decarbonization. We have example after example of when we've partnered with school districts, when we've partnered with major industrials to get federal dollars to really speed up their process of cleaning up their stack. And that's what's exciting about the billions of dollars that are coming in to the Mid-Atlantic and to Illinois. Last question. I, I mentioned earlier on that this is the first stock I own. Well, we were we are Philly Electric people. We were Pico. Then they changed it to Pico. Uh, do you find a lot of your shareholders are people who actually are uh, Exelon users? I, I do. And when you're serving, ten, when you have the 
opportunity and the responsibility to serve 10 million, you connect in so many different ways. Because as you said, you're in people's homes in their businesses and the relationship is personal. So when I come in and I talk excellent, they're like, they have stories of Pico like you do, mm-hmm. that family members have worked there for generations. There's a connection with your utility that we don't take for granted. And we go out each and every day to really strengthen that bond because we're going to show up each and every day. And as you know, Jim, those men and women, when they're stormed, they're out there when it's the worst and they're keeping your lights on and your gas flowing. And we don't take that for granted. And I know our customers don't either. Well, you are doing a fabulous job, and I love that 3% yield. I like reliability above all, because that's what our viewers want. I want to thank excellent CEO Calvin Butler. Thank you for coming on the show. Jim, thank you for having me. Excellent. Mad Money's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day. Time the lightning round. Let's go to Marsha and watch you. Marsha. Booyah, Seattle Seahawks style. Hey, Jim, will Rite Aid go bankrupt and will we be able to pay off the bonds? We don't want Rite Aid. Why don't we buy CVS? They had some great things to say out there at the J.P. Morgan Conference, and I think that's good news. That's the one to buy. Let's go to Mike in New Jersey. Mike. Hey, Jim. Thanks for uh, taking my call. Of course. I'm right down the road in ex- from Palisades uh, Park, and uh, my question is about Adma Biologics. All right, now, this is the type of stock, look, it's a a $3 number, it's a great spec, but it is losing money hand over fist. I think it's very binary. I tend not to like binary situations. George, I'm sorry, John in Georgia, John. Good evening, Booyah Kramer. Booyah. Hey, uh, by chance met you in an airport a few years ago. You had some very kind words from my military son. Uh, Thank you for that. Oh, of Uh, course, and thank you for having me. Tell him thank you. What's up? What, I will. My question is about a large industrial distributor that generate a lot of cash, but then growing nicely. One of their partners is Eaton. Uh, I wonder what you think about not only the company, but also the markets they serve. The company is Wesco International, ticker WCC. This is the kind of company I like. The plain old vanilla industrial parts company. I like it very much. I think you have a winner. Let's go to James in New York, please. James. Oh, hi, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing well, James. How about you? I'm doing great. What do you think about AT&T stock? Do you think the 5% well, dividend well, is good to First of all, T-Mobile is the class of the field. AT&T, all I can say is, is not as bad as it used to. Somewhat tepid recommendation there. Let's go to Simon in New York. Simon. Hi, Jim. Uh, first time caller, long time fan. Gotcha. So I'm really curious about... Um, what your thoughts are on next decade, ticker NEXT. I'm a big, big fan of uh, LNG. I'm just not sure. Well, if you're a big fan of LNG, let's go class of the field. Let's go to Sempra with Jeff Morton, who runs an unbelievable company and is doing great things out west with LNG. People aren't thinking about them nearly enough. That's the one to be in. Let's go to Ming in New Jersey. Ming. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I know you I know you're in love with the EMPH. I also have the stock in FSR for long term, but also holding Aries. 
just under uh, fifteen dollars. How do you feel about this? Kind of got a solar tracking, kind of interest. I put it as an interesting spec play. And if they make the money that they're supposed to make next this year, then I think you'll be in very good shape. Let's go to Lester, in Illinois. Lester, how are you, sir? I am good, Lester. How about you? Good. I hope you and the family are well for this year coming up. And got a big question for you, Jim. I look at you as the sure. god of investments. So the question is, my company Frey got a lot of the shares. Want to get your opinion and see if we go too, forward? Too speculative for me. I'm sorry, Lester. Too speculative. Come on, that's too tough. Losing too much money. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, get well. The getting is good. Opportunities in crypto and China are there for the taking, but the window closes fast. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. I mean, this is what they do. Why are we like... What are we? This, we have Duck Creek Technologies. They have Alibaba. I'm sure she is sitting there right now. We have Duck Creek. I'm gonna today. suck them in. I'm gonna get yeah, that Kramer. Suck them in. Watching right now. Yeah. What he spends most of his time thinking about. No, I'm just kidding. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Jim Kramer, the diehard of the dollar. Hey, Jimmy, love the show. My five-year-old grandson loves to watch your show. I have to thank you for making us money when it's there to be made. Our world is a better place with you in it. Got to hand it to this market. Every now and then, it gives you a terrific chance to, to sell what you shouldn't even be owning. Sell, 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 sell. Today's selling opportunity, it's crypto and China with the tech side dish earlier in the day. Both the Chinese stocks and the crypto plays rallied today. Coinbase had a huge move higher, 15%. Those who've been waiting for these things to bottom are probably thrilled. I bet they bought them all hand over fist. Probably do the same thing tomorrow. But I actually think that's a huge mistake. I don't expect the crypto plays or the Chinese stocks to roll over tomorrow or even the next day. These moves tend to last a couple of days to play out, and then the stocks in question are so low they have some room to bounce. However, the history or ways in favor of selling these things maybe two, three days from now. Let's start with China. We've all seen what's going on in the People's Republic. Because of the Communist Party's inexplicable zero-COVID strategy, they created tremendous social unrest, a bad outcome for a dictatorship. At the same time, nobody wants to do business with a country that's constantly locking down vast swaths of its economy. So finally, the Chinese government flipped from the most draconian COVID policy in the world to having no COVID policy whatsoever, while also beginning a campaign to push up stock prices. Remember, this is not some free market capitalist regime like so many people think it is. The Communist Party can't prop up all the stocks in the market all the time, but it can absolutely prop up some of the stocks some of the time. It helps lure in foreign investors, at which point they take the support away and you are left holding the bag. How about crypto? I think today's rally was all about short covering and market manipulation. There's nothing happening here that makes any of these crypto enterprises more valuable than they were on Friday. It's just simply a reprieve, not just from cryptocurrencies going down because they have no economic value, but also from the endless chicanery that's so obvious after the collapse of the Sam Bankman Freed Empire. I believe there are many more shoes to drop here because there's been so much manipulation and so little regulatory oversight. 
Don't take it from me. Listen to John Stark, who worked in the SEC's enforcement division for 18 years. According to him, and I quote, never in securities fraud history have prosecutors had at their disposal such a unique bevy of stoolies, canaries, turncoats, snitches, and tipsters. Expect more crypto runs to trigger more crypto defendants to be charged and more crypto story to be told, end quote. I, I know there are many constituencies that favor both of these tainted asset classes. The brokers always want to bring anything Chinese public, no matter the cost to their customers. And the cost is huge because these stocks tend to do quite poorly. The problem with investing in a self-professed communist country is that the government can and will do whatever it wants to private industry. A couple of years ago, the, China, the uh, Communist Party felt that big business had gotten too powerful. So they cracked down on tons of enterprises and the shareholders got poleaxed. But the brokers don't care. They just want to collect the fees from bringing these Chinese companies public. However, crypto, meanwhile, has been revealed as a den of thieves, rife with market manipulation. I'm not saying all the high-level players in the industry are crooks. I'm sure there are plenty of honest, true believers. But crypto has become a fraudster's paradise. No regulation. Now, though, everyone's acting like the collapse of Sam Bankman-Fried's empire is complete and there are no more shoes to drop. So they're taking up cryptocurrencies of all flavors once again. To me, this is a terrific opportunity to unload anything connected to crypto, including the stocks of companies like Coinbase. Again, there are a lot of people with deep pockets and big megaphones who will do anything they can to draw you back into crypto. And they tend to succeed right up until the next scandal. The next manipulation story causes it to come tumbling back down. So remember, first it goes higher as those who need it to go high push Behind the scenes, we'll hear more good news from, say, a Coinbase or from a Chinese stock that hasn't yet made a move or from Macau. The Chinese gambling paradise has finally come alive. And then, then it all ends. So enjoy these while they last, but don't forget to exit before the next leg down. Because with these suspect assets, there is always another leg down. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.